Welcome to Small Talk with Elise. Halloween is coming up, so we thought we would treat you with a spooky episode. Brandon and Justin briefly go into the origins and symbols of Halloween. After that, the spooky begins. As Justin, Brandon, and I share what we read on Wikipedia pages about different serial killers. You all thought Ted Bundy was bad? Wait till you hear about these other serial killers. These include the infamous Charles Manson, king of evil manipulating and mind control. Joseph Fritzl, a serial killer with a story similar to the movie Room, who lived a double life as a happy, normal-looking father upstairs and a daughter rapist downstairs. And lastly, Dorothea Puente, who is a sweet-looking granny who killed tenants living in her boarding house for financial purposes. Wait till you hear which one of her products is still being sold on Amazon today. Hope you don't get as many goosebumps as I got. Happy Halloween! So thanks for that introduction, Sangji. And Sangji's actually joining us today. Yay. So we have a Woo-hoo. nice yeah, episode set in place today to kind of fit with the holidays that are coming up. So what we want to go over today is we want to dig into Halloween. You know, we're not experts on Halloween, but we want to kind of dissect up. the symbolism of Halloween how that really impacts who we are and maybe even you know we're going to go into more of the dark fringes of the halloween season itself and we're going to even talk about some of the more prominent serial killer figures that are pretty popular in our in our culture today so i think these things kind of tie in together and we go down rabbit holes a lot so we'll see where this conversation takes my serial killer is unknown by most people Mine is I think very mine's, un- mine's unknown too, actually. Yeah, I think mine's probably the most well-known. But um, yeah, those ones, we're going to talk about Charles Manson. And who's yours, Brandon? Mine's Dorothea Puente. And Sangji? Mine's Joseph Fritzl. Sounds like a pretzel. <laughs> Fritzl <laughs> from Austrian. Not, Don't make fun people. of him. He might come and get you. Too bad none of these people are, are very pleasant at all. But anyways... <laughs> So before we get into that creepy, you know, creepy goosebump stuff, let's talk about Halloween, which is probably just as creepy and goosebumpy. Yeah. Who's excited for Halloween? <laughs> are you guys going to do anything this Halloween? I don't think oh, so. We are actually planning to go to Salem. Oh, that's right. Yeah. We're going to yeah, go to Salem. and Atticus. The witch trials. Yes. Yes. So it's in Salem, Mass. It's just like, it's probably, it's about an hour drive from where we are. Yeah. And they always, like, from what I've heard, they go all out. So they'll decorate the entire town. There's people that are dressed, like, throughout the whole month. They All their, you know, retail and shopping and everything is just centered around Halloween. It's a huge holiday for them. And people go from, come from all over the place. So. 
Are you going to yeah. go trick-or-treating there? No, uh, we're just going to go next Saturday, so that's... Yeah, oh, but so not, I'm excited. Yeah, I want to... Right before Halloween. Yeah, yeah. I want to read up more on the witch trials in Salem so that I learn about the history before we go. It would be a lot more interesting. Yeah. Yeah, exciting. Okay. How are you? What are you going to do? Um, I'll probably just be sitting at home studying the symbolism of Halloween. Oh, that's boring. But why don't we ju jump right into that then, the symbolism of Halloween. Okay. Well, what did you get? Um, so we, like, we watched Jonathan Peju's video. It kind of talked about um, how Halloween is like, I guess some points that I got out that were really cool were the ha the the concept that the timing of Halloween, you know, first of all, the timing is going to be October 31st. Right. And that is kind of like the beginning of the decline in, in the days, you know, the days get shorter every day from that point on. And, and we're heading towards like winter. Right. And the second thing is the name is Halloween. Um, this has always been a concern to most people is like, why do we celebrate Halloween? And is it just all mythical and occult? And so yeah. the question I had was, why is it called Halloween? And if, it, mm. if the name means Hollow's Eve, and hollow yeah. means, you know, for Mormons, we would understand that as, as hallowed be the name of the Lord. You know, mm. it's like holy. So it's the eve of the holy day. So what is that day? Those are kind of the things running in my head. Yeah. I think for me, so in that video, Jonathan Peugeot is a, um what is it he does a lot of those carvings he does a lot of the the symbolism for the, i think he's orthodox christian but he dives into this it's just a 22 minute video but i thought it was really insightful so besides what you said he breaks it down as well and he says well tr historically there's just been this hallows eve right and then there's been the saint's day so it's a three-day holiday hallows eve saint day and then soul's day so hallows eve you're really kind of remembering all the dead and stuff like that. Saints days, you're praying to the saints. Um, and then souls days, you're praying to all the dead. And, and all of these things together, the culmination. All the Christian dead. Anyone Christian that was Christian dead. that died. Correct. Uh -huh. yeah. You're kind of praying and trying to be able to, what, what would you say, Brian? Kind of like overcome these demons that enter into our life. So he, he goes on to say, you know, a lot of people dress up for Halloween. We you know a lot of girls dress very scandalously or a lot of guys dress like really frightening. People go all out with their houses and make it look like a haunted house. And it's really kind of that day where we let the demons encroach a little bit. And there's this idea of trick or treat, right? So someone comes- well, Before you get into trick or treat, how, yeah, about yeah, we, sure. how about we talk about a little bit about the controversy of it then? Because when you hear this, most people are gonna, you know, I've heard conversations between uh, old people, um, younger people, but they're like discussing it and they're like, why do we even celebrate Halloween at our church? You know, the fact that we have trunk or tree at the wards, um, this is just like an abomination. It's, it's kind of like letting your kids read Harry Potter, right? Yeah. Like study <laughs> magic in the occult. So, I mean, there's a huge, huge uh, hate on Halloween and, and that it shouldn't be a holiday. It's the worst holiday if there was one. The whole picture of Halloween is to bow down to the devil. Halloween is the devil's holiday. People mindlessly celebrate Halloween without realizing that this is the biggest day where witches and warlocks all around the world 
practice satanic ceremonies to bring a spiritual attack on the church and the community. Halloween is an abomination to God. Um, what, do you, what do you guys think about that? Do you have any opinions on that? Hmm. Sanji, did they celebrate Halloween think, in New Zealand? Uh, not as much as in America. But I don't know. I never really thought about the symbolism or anything. People just do it for fun. <laughs> yeah. So um, I didn't really get... So when you were saying that Halloween is, is for kind of remembering the dead, are you the, in the Christian sect? Like, are you saying that we're remembering kind of Christian influences that are the dead or... I did, yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, oh, so the, just in the past, how the Catholics celebrated it is there was three days. The first day was Hallow's Eve. The second day was the Saints' Day. So they would yeah. pray to the saints that have passed away already. And then the third mm-hmm. day was Souls' Day, where they would pray to all the dead as well that were Christian. Yeah, so the reason why it's called Halloween, like the Eve of the Hollow, is because the next day, which we've forgotten about, is supposed to be the kind of like the the cure to the first day. It's the holy day. Cure to all that death and the the demons and yeah. The but we've cast out the second the part. Yeah. So all we remember is all oh, the ghosts and the demons. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. So when did they start? I guess um, associating Halloween with dressing up, like dressing up and the candies and everything like that because it doesn't seem like what from what you guys are talking about it doesn't seem like a event like that. it just sounds like a religious ceremony where they just pray to the dead very positive kind of thing well, that was after the hallows eve because the first day was the representation of the dead right so in in them recognizing the waning brandon was talking about we're in the fall season Things are starting to die. The days are getting shorter. The world as a whole, the seasons when we get to this time is, is waning. So we, they have, they symbolize this by, they would put up pictures of skulls. They'll picture, put a picture of the dead. They'll put a picture of these things that are, that are from the darkness, kind of the unknown before the origin, right? These things that are coming up that are scary and, and horrendous and, and, and so forth that kind of represent and symbolize this this death and horror and stuff so before we get to the symbolism of all the trick-or-treating the candy the mass all that stuff i think we should understand the history a little bit so it's kind of complicated answer sangji's question about when it all started um specifically i guess i'm just checking the wikipedia article here about uh going door to door and and asking for stuff um that started in the 1930s it looked like in england um or in england from the medieval period so a couple hundred years probably up until the 1930s and so they were going from parish to parish and they were begging for soul cakes in exchange for praying for the souls of the givers and their friends so it's all kind of linked in this in this praying for the dead part and that's kind of how it evolved but even before that uh, what i found really interesting doing some research on this was that Halloween is actually related to St. Patrick's and that might sound crazy to you guys. Do you, do you guys have any idea how that those two might be related? No well, idea. Yeah. All I know about St. Pat, St. Patrick's is the only similarity I can think of is, is 
like a big drinking day. It's just kind of a day where people let themselves go or they let them, their inner cravings and these bad habits and demons kind of take over for a little bit. And that's the only connection I can kind of make. Yeah. So, I mean, it kind of has to do with demons. So St. Patrick traditionally, you know, he's the, he's the famous saint or the bishop that lived in Ireland back in like, I don't know, 500 AD or something. Um, and so here's the connection. Okay. So it's a little bit, uh, there's a few details here, but I'll get into it. So Halloween is said to be started originally from a pagan festival and it's called, um, for all I know, it's pronounced Sowin, but it's, it looks like it's pronounced Sam Hain. Okay. <laughs> Maybe if you watch Supernat, I think uh, Supernatural, the TV show. Oh, yeah, Sam. Yeah, he talks about Sam Hain as a person, but it's it's not a person. It's it's just the name of the festival, the feast. It's kind of like the harvest feast. Mm-hmm. So they, they celebrate by by slaughtering their animals and by eating and and feasting. But anyways, this holiday, um, there's legends and rumors all in the Ire, Irish, Gaelic, uh, Celtic type stories that they would perform sacrifices to and they would even do child sacrifices whether or not that happened historically or not i don't know but um that's the as the legend goes and so there was this idol his name his super funny name is crom crotch i don't know how to pronounce it but that's what it looks like crom crotch and he was a he was a god and they had to they would gather around the idol he's like a stone figure that he they set up and they would go, go in a circle and they would all kill their firstborn child and the blood would be splattered in a circle around him. And Man. what happened was St. Patrick here came to the rescue and he turned all these barbarous Irish people. Of course, this is written by the victors, you know. St. Patrick comes and he brings them Christianity and he smashes Crown Cross with a sledgehammer and he destroys the paganism from Ireland. And so that's how St. Patrick actually saved us from Halloween. And so we celebrate him the next day. The next day? What do you mean? And All Saints Day. We have Halloween and then we have All Saints Day. Oh, but St. Patrick's Day is in March. Because he got rid of the snakes too. That's a different story. Okay. Or I I believe that's what it is. How come St. Patrick's Day is in March? Well, there's lots of different legends about St. Patrick's. One is that he also got rid of the snakes in Ireland because if you go to Ireland, apparently there's actually no snakes there. Um, so they attribute lots of days to him. Hmm. Okay. So, but All Saints Day isn't specifically reserved yeah, for him. Yeah, that's what I, I just, think. You, I was making the connection. Yeah. <clears throat> I see. Well, that's kind of a good, interesting tidbit on the, the connection between St. Patrick's and, and Halloween. But um, back to the trick-or-treating part, right? So, or did, did you want to go a different direction, Brandon? No, no. You go back to the trick-or-treating. If I remember right, so Peugeot talks about how there's these trick-or-treaters. So they're, they're dressed up as demons and they're coming on your door and knocking. They're either asking for a trick or a treat, right? And this is kind of symbolic of there's a lot of demons that are coming into our life all the time. And it's kind of like, when we try to push out all the demons, it ends up being worse for us. So like, for example, if I'm going on a very, very strict diet where I'm only going to eat kale and olives for, I'm just going to say for the whole year. And I try to do that for like months (laughs) and I get to four months and I'm like, I just absolutely cannot stand this. It's horrendous. 
and I end up swinging and I end up going to get fried chicken. I get kebabs. I get French fries. I get tater tots. I get all these yummy fried things. And I just binge on it. I'm like, Oh, I feel awful. And then I'm basically like, well, that was for nothing. I try to keep all those, you know, quote unquote, unhealthy things on my life. And it just made me indulge in it even deeper. So these trick-or-treatings come to your house, you're kind of staving them off. You're giving them a candy here and there and saying, okay, here's your candy, now leave, right? So you're kind of letting it indulge a little because you know if you don't, then it's going to overwhelm you, these demons. So in that way, the trick-or-treating is kind of a symbolic representation of those demons in our life that we know we have to feed and we always do feed it a little bit, but the trick is finding the balance of not feeding it too much because if you do, then it completely destroys you. But if you completely try, because none of us are able to, to starve it all of our lives, it ends up swinging it back way too hard and it gets us. What if you just turned on the sprinklers? <laughs> but, Scare off all the computers. I like that. Yeah. Cause, cause I've always, it's fun, you know, Basically, if you've never experienced Halloween, I guess if for our international listeners, you know, someone comes knocking on your door, at, it's like six o'clock is when it starts. And then they're all dressed up, all these little kids as, as scandalous and scary looking uh, axe murderers, you know. And then they're like these demons that come knocking at your door. And, you know, listen to that figuratively. That happens all the time. Demons come knocking at our doors all the time. Every time we're tempted by something, you know, they come knocking at the door. And like, I guess the, the, there's multiple ways to deal with them. The way Halloween deals with it is that you kind of entertain them a little bit, but not enough to let them inside of your house. You know, you don't open the door and invite them in. You open the door, you know, st stave them off until the next year by giving them a little bit of candy. So. Yeah. What are you, what are your thoughts on that, Sanji? When you've that different perspective of tr trick or treating or what do you think? Uh, I wonder if <laughs> people who are listening to this think we're um, overanalyzing it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, I could see that. Yeah. Well, my question is then what does it all mean? You know, how did it come like, about? Why do we do it? You know, like yeah. it's just some, everyone always asks, what do we do? it? It's dying off, but it's not really dying. I mean, and that's kind of the irony. I think when people say Halloween's dying off, it's, it's a time of dying and we like to act it out because we realize that this is a dying season um, where the leaves are, you know, falling off and the days are getting shorter and stuff. So we, we try to act out this death part of it, this monster part of it. And, and we really are kind of missing the critical aspect of prayer that follows it to kind of help to compensate for all this. So heavy I, death. I wouldn't say it's like an, a conscious thing. You know, when I was a kid, I didn't go out thinking, I'm actively helping celebrate and or recognize the 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 terrors of death and all the demons in this world. That's not. I just wanted to get candy, right? I just wanted yeah. to yeah. feel my own demons back then. But I think it's it's has to be understood in this generalized context of you know what why do we have these holidays and what do they represent at least to us? What are we trying to pro portray as a culture? And we know. Christmas, you know, it's not a stretch to say, okay, that is the birth of a savior. Okay. And when I say this, I mean it totally metaphorical too, because it's that dark night of the soul. You know, it's the darkest night of winter, December 25th, which isn't actually when Christ was born. But why do we attribute it to that day? It's because it's the darkest night is when a savior 
is born so he can save us. And then we go on to April, you know, April is the rebirth. Okay. It's the new creation. You know, that's where you get the fertility Easter money is rebirth, but none of that can start until you go from the very beginning, which is in the fall with the death of everything. And you know, you could make the argument that we shouldn't be celebrating it though, but that's kind of like saying we shouldn't have the cross or it's like saying we shouldn't talk about the fall, you know, and but all but these some, some members would say we shouldn't have the cross. <laughs> well, should we, what about the fall? You know, there's a lot of symbolism in yeah. baptism. You go down first and then back up. Should we say, right. well, we shouldn't celebrate the going down part because that's the death part. You know, and I don't think is a celebration more than and, and it's more of like a recognition of, of the facts. Recognition, a, a ritual and acting out. Right. Because we are. That's inherently who we are. We are ritualistic. We are symbolic. We have to do these things that represent it. And it's, we act before we can consciously articulate what we are doing. We don't know. And that's just an ancient structure in us that we always act out these types of rituals. Yeah. So Sangji, do you still think we're crazy? <laughs> no. So just to sum up in a concise way, you're saying that um, Halloween is kind of a way for us to, it kind of represents us having to kind of bring out kind of the monster side of us um, once in a year during this time where. Yeah, it's kind of like that movie. Yeah. It's, it's like that movie, um, the, purge. the Purge, you know, it's one time a year, you just let it all out, you know, you get to dress up, you get to be whatever you want, you get to put on whatever shade of mask you want. And, and that is the beginning to the solution of the problem. Hmm, I but I mean, but I mean, but you have to be clear, though, it's not, it's not saying you can do whatever you yeah, I mean, the action like, no, is not to act out however you want. That's you're not representing that. Exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah. We yeah. don't want you actually being a vampire, just dressing. It's not what we want. It's just what the symbolic ritual is, is that you dress up and you recognize the demons that creep into your life, but you don't indulge on them too fully. And then following that is the other saints day that are supposed to compensate for that, the prayer yeah. and stuff. But it's you're just right. a, and it's a symbolic representation of the time of death. It's, it's kind no, of No, you're totally right. I would like to add another thing that he mentioned in his video. And it's some people are really, really into this holiday. Like they spend hours and hours making those costumes. And it's kind of interesting because it's like, why do some people spend so much time and other people, you know, don't blink an eye for this holiday? And it's cool because I don't know, he kind of pointed out like the people that do that, they're really into those those costumes and and it's kind of like they just pay so much detailed attention to it because they're they're kind of shaping that mask that, you know, when I say mask, it's like the mask that we wear every day and pretend to put on a show and be someone we're not when we're really someone else. And so I don't know if there's a connection there, but it, oh, he also no, but he yeah. said he said you better be careful about those people. You may want to stay away from them. <laughs> that's what that's a critical part that I think you were you left out for that. Yeah, that. well, I don't want to offend any of our well, offend who? It's just it's it's it's. He says when there's people that are much too indulgent on this Halloween holiday, those are people you have to be very careful about because that is kind of a an acting out representation of that is is kind of what he was hitting on, and I think that's very true. 
when you allow too many of those demons in your life, when you indulge on it too deeply, it could be harmful in some way, or it could be a deeper representation. But not to say that people that like Halloween and celebrate a lot, there's not anything wrong with you. It's just, but that there is a deeper symbolic meaning across all people that do like to celebrate this holiday. Well, any other things on Halloween before we move on to our next segment? I don't think so. Sangji, anything to add nope. there? Nothing. I just, I yeah, I think that's it. Okay. Well, then let's jump into the next creepy part of our segment. Okay. So, I had Charles Manson, and I, I sent you guys some questions. Why don't you guys ask those questions, and we can talk about him a little bit. Yeah, so we're going to go through each of the three serial killers we picked out that interested us. And we're going to ask, we all chose a few questions and kind of interesting questions that we, we found from their Wikipedia pages. And we're going to share a little bit. So for Charles Manson, I'll ask the first question for Justin. And it asks, what is Charles Manson best known for? So your response. I would say mainly Charles Manson is known for being a cult, an icon in culture. He was kind of the representation of the extreme violent, like macabre and like just insanity in culture. And these really fringe like musical groups and stuff, they really gravitated towards him. He was like a cult figure for them, which is oddly strange. And the Beatles actually sorry not the beatles the beach boys they made a song that well they recorded one of charles Manson's songs that he wrote and they retitled it to call and it's called never learn not to love wait so charles and manson was a singer he was a musician on like that's kind of something that he like he learned to do in jail and stuff he played the guitar and he sang and stuff but oh wait yeah. in jail he learned to play the music. Yeah, I mean, so... in and out. I think I'm not sure exactly, but he was in jail more than more most of his life. So it's not really. Yeah, it's, that was kind of his life. How it, early it, was in, he caught then? How early did he learn guitar? How when did he get caught and put in jail? Well, he wasn't caught for what you think. He was caught for like petty crimes and stuff. Oh, but he learned it while he was he was serving other crimes. Yeah, so it says here in July 1961, he was transferred from Los Angeles County Jail. So this is his second imprisonment um, at McNeil Island, Washington. There he took guitar lessons from oh. Baker Carpus gang leader Alvin Creepy Carpus and obtained from oh. another inmate a contact name of someone at Universal Studios in Hollywood, Phil Kaufman. Anyways, How would it yeah. feel to be have a teacher named Alphys Creepy Carpus? Yeah, Al <laughs> Alvin Creepy Carpus. Alvin Creepy Carpus. <laughs> yeah. Justin, I think you should give a summary of what... Um, so why, why don't we ask the rest of those questions and then I think that kind of reveals a little bit about him. I yeah. feel like when you ask those questions without knowing any of the, the crime cases, it's not really, it, like, not really captivating. Okay. Yeah, we need a little bit of background on his... Yeah, we need a background. No, I don't know character. anything about Charles Manson. <laughs> so Charles Manson, um, he's basically known for forming a cult. And oh. he has this big 
like the swastika tattoo on his forehead. So some people speculate, but he denies it, that he was trying to start a race war. That's so he's like this white supremacist racist. I, I'm not sure exactly what his thing was, but that's what some people say. But he says it's not true. But anyways, he was so he was in prison multiple times. He grew up in this very bad family situation. There's actually this wonderful video on, by it's on uh, by Stefan Molyneux. And he goes through the whole life of Charles Manson for a couple of hours. Now, you don't have to listen to any of his political content, but Stefan Molly has some good biographical videos on some of these crazy people. But he goes through that. If you wanted to watch that, you can check that out. Um, but anyways, after he got out of prison in the late 1960s, he started to attract a big group of followers and there were a lot of young women actually from he sounds around. like a ted bundy kind of yeah but the weird thing is he never actually killed anyone himself so he just got people to kill other people. yeah he never killed anyone himself allegedly he may have killed one guy but they said he shot him but he never died that guy but ted bundy he was responsible for i can so his group is called the manson family they in they murdered someone named Gary Hinman. Um, they gained national notoriety after the murder of actress Sharon Tate and four others in her home in 1969. And then Tex Watson and three other members of the of the Manson family, uh, they executed the Tate LaBianca murders and they acted under Manson specific instructions. So his his family members, right? These people part of it that were part of his cult, they're responsible for a, a variety of crimes like theft, assault, and, and they even attempted the assassination of the U.S. president Gerald Ford in Sacramento. So they had a whole line of crimes. But oddly enough, it, I mean, it doesn't seem that he ever murdered or attempted to murder anyone himself. So did the people? It seems like they're trying to target you know famous people people with notoriety did these people have any claim links to like the civil rights movement if i'm assuming the correct time period you know i don't i don't it doesn't it honestly doesn't have a lot of information on his followers or anything it just talks about after he got out of prison he formed this family known as the manson family and they carried out a lot of murders that he convinced them to do so were they um charged with murder yeah, I think a lot of them were, and as was he, but he was the mastermind, so he was sentenced to life. And, well, he was sentenced to be executed, actually. And but but then, the others didn't get sentenced to it. They did, too, but okay. I think the uh, most of them are either out now or dead. Because they have, in California, they don't have the death sentence, so um, they could have life with parole. Like they, they, there would be the option for them to get out and have parole after they serve like 15 years or something. Ooh. Okay, so the next question is how many people did Manson kill? Uh, so well, it kind of answer directly, that. but. Yeah, I think um, indirectly there was around seven or so. Is seven, okay. Right. Uh, That's not so that many compared to mine. <laughs> no, just kidding. With uh, through how many people? So, 
let's see. So the core members of his group, there was this Charles Tex Watson, um, Robert, Mary, a librarian, Susan, Linda, Patricia, Leslie. So there were seven people in, in his family, in his Manson family. So, oh, and here's another answer to you. Most of the members are still serving their sentences, but um, one of them, well, two of them are out. So, Rogan was released on parole in 85, and another one, Kasabian, was granted immunity because they acted as a witness at the trial for Manson. I hope they don't hear this podcast. I'm sure they're, they're really old right now. Charles Manson's dead already, by the no, way. No, just because they're all doesn't mean that they can't do anything. It's interesting <laughs> that when you mine. read out those names, uh-huh. there were quite a bit of women. Yeah, and he attracted he, a lot of women. That was the thing. He manipulated women into... Yeah, I mean, it's interesting about his childhood is his mom was also known as a very manipulative woman. And she actually slept with so many different men and she had so many unstable relationships and stuff. And she was never really a solid mother figure, of course. I mean, shocker, right? For Charles. And I mean, that's kind of, I think, a big part of his his life. It's kind of sad. Even I remember hearing his biography. He always, he said the happiest moment in his life was when his mom came out of prison and came back to see him. And that was his mm-hmm. happiest moment. And from there, it was just downhill for him because she was never around long-term. And he would go from school to school. He was sent to some prison reform school and he was raped a lot of times by the, the different boys at that school. And, and wow. from there, he just committed more and more crimes and it got worse and worse. But I think they kind of trained him to be manipulative. You know, if he didn't learn it <laughs> from them, then he learned it from somebody. And that's kind of the sad thing, but at the same time, like, it doesn't justify anything these people did. But it definitely gets brought up in the court cases, like, as in their defense, I guess. Yeah, I think so. I mean, a lot of these serial killers, I mean, I can't think of, I don't know a lot about serial killers, but it seems like all of them had a very bad childhood, very bad parent figures. Unstable, yeah. But yeah, I was right. He He killed seven people. There were seven people in his Manson family. Unfortunately, you were correct. Yep. So, I mean, it, um, directly, he never killed anyone himself, though. Okay. Mm. So, he's like Hitler. But Hitler killed way more people. <laughs> Indirectly, yeah. So, But it was our- legal for him, so I don't know. <laughs> but people don't view him any better, so that's fine. Okay. So, the next question is, what are some of the notable things that Charles Manson did um, or to know about his childhood. You kind of mentioned already about his relationship with his mother, but anything else? Um, he's actually a pretty intelligent guy. I think he had a 109 IQ score. That's nine points above the average. I mean, he's mm. not, he's so not he's a almost dumb guy. one standard deviation above. Yeah. One fifteen would be a standard deviation. He's not a dumb guy at all. He, I mean, he's, he was married a couple of times. There were people, he wrote, I mean, I was going to talk about the music at this part. He was actually, he was, a lot of artists have gone and grabbed some of his, his recordings and just made it, but they retitled it to something else. And Charles Manson was just kind of that iconic dark figure at the edge of 
of these weird music like cultural things and people loved people loved that he was so controversial and he even in when he was in prison i think in the late 80s nbc and these different news channels and interviewers came in and talked to him and i think one of those interviews was deemed the best interview of the year another one was watched by so many people and then in again in I, around 2008 or so they rebroadcasted Charles Manson's full interview the NBC interview because before it was so like just shady and stuff they only wanted to put 15 minutes out but in this rebroadcast they put out things so. yeah listening just, to these interviews are always really creepy but very interesting at the same time to have a sit yeah. down talk to them you know yeah so i mean he just he's he's dead now though he died two years ago or, or so okay um but there's a lot of there's some crazy artists out there that they're actually named after him um, what? so one of them is he's actually a quite popular rock artist and he really just does it to be controversial his name's his band name anyways is marilyn manson so it's named after his two favorite people he said is Marilyn Monroe and Charles Manson. So he has some crazy songs. It's actually, you'll hear his songs on the radio sometimes too, but he was, he was a very iconic rock figure in, back in the late oh. 90s. So we won't seen, be using his music on our podcast intros. <laughs> he does that cover for the Sweet dreams are made of these. And you oh, hear wow. it on a lot of horror movies. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, oh, they just then, gave me the goosebumps. Yeah, he's a he's a weird guy. But I've actually watched Marilyn Manson's interviews. He he looks really weird. He makes himself look very horrible on purpose. Yeah, I see. I look at the YouTube, um, the front cover pictures. Yeah, there's a lot of facial hair. Yeah, very well, weird oh, facial. Marilyn hair. Marilyn Manson, the. Oh, the, Marilyn. I think Manson. she's talking about Charles. You're talking about Charles, right? Charles. Yeah, Marilyn Manson is really odd looking like he looks like a zombie ghost but he's actually very reasonable and articulate when he goes on these interviews so that was back in like the late 90s he would go on all these different shows and they would call him satanist and stuff he's like no i actually just like to start hard conversations because he was really kind of just poking at christian culture at that time so i don't know what marilyn Manson's intentions are and stuff but he's a weird guy he likes to name his stuff after and he's actually banned from utah i think here's the thing is, I don't like reducing anybody to like one thing, but I would like to put into question, I'm sure this has been done before, I don't know anything about this, but I'm, I would like to put in question about how how much he is trying to use just this horrible crime, you know, to make a profit. Because not that, maybe he doesn't, I don't know his opinion, he probably has some good views on this, but um, I noticed a theme is that every time these serial killers got get caught, that everyone is in it to make the money, or there's lots of people ready, you know, be it the investigators or the cops or the interviewers or you know the the yeah. musicians. It's kind of you know unsettling to think about that. Why is that? What do you yeah, guys? I, think? Why I is it so think, gripping? Yeah, like people are just naturally attracted to listening and like. Um, listening and learning about crime cases. Like, if you look at Netflix right now, so many of the popular series are crime-related series. And and I I personally think we all have like this side in us where we want to be aware of the dangers around us. You know, we want to know all the little 
dangers that's around us so that we can we can protect ourselves from it. It's our natural instinct to do that. And I think um, the media and their production of crime-related materials is kind of a way, it kind of feeds that instinct, you know, for us to be Yeah, it's like giving the candy to the kids. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> to protect ourselves, yeah, so. Yeah, there's kind of like a, a sick, like a deeper, that thing like we we almost we're so uh, we're so amazed we're so amazed that someone could do such awful things and we're kind of almost thinking yeah shock oh, that's not me but why would they do that you know we're kind of trying to say yeah we're trying to figure would, it out you know we're trying to figure yeah. it out how could they kill so many people so you know with no conscious i mean i would never do that you know of course we like to say that's not me or whatever but we're looking into these and we're just so fascinated yeah and at the same time it, it what shatters our kind of view is when we find out that you know it's i i remember this story mom always told me i don't know if it's true or not but it was about ted bundy's wife and she would be sitting in bed and she's like i hear there's this serial killer going out you know picking up yeah. all these women oh, that's true and it's and true he's like oh yeah good thing you know <laughs> we're safe here or whatever and yeah. then, so like when you find out oh wait it's not what i thought it was or i didn't actually think that person was what they were or you know the hor most horrifying is when you find it out about yourself and you're like oh i didn't know i was that kind of a person and that's when it all you know shatters into pieces so it's kind yeah. of exploring that that territory the edge of things um i think that's why we have that curiosity it grips us yeah I, I think you're right i mean it's not that we're like oh i didn't realize i was such a serial killer psychopathic person but more of wow i didn't realize i had the potential to do such bad things sometimes and that's kind of that that enlightenment that Talking realization about jordan peterson yeah i guess kind of drawing and drawing i feel like people who don't listen to jordan peterson would be like what what are you guys talking <laughs> about right now yeah. So what happens is clarify a little. What bit, happens yeah. is, you but, know, yeah. we sit here and meditate on serial killer interviews and we gain enlightenment. That's that's kind of the <laughs> I mean, I don't really gain enlightenment in the sense that like, oh, oh, these serial killers did this. I have the potential to do this. I don't really think Yeah, that. I don't think in that way. That's, that's cuz you haven't achieved nirvana yet, Sangji. <laughs> no, I don't I don't think that's what it, it's saying at all. Though it's it's more of the capacity for us to recognize the evil in each one of us yeah and, and you know carl jung has that famous quote that a tree can't reach to heaven until its roots are deep in hell so it's like understanding the inherent evil nature in human beings allows yeah. us to reach up to something better and greater right so yeah. it's really contemplating it's not that yeah it's not that we have to really look at these really disturbing and gross things a lot of people don't care it and it yeah. actually it bothers them true bothers some people them. would never click on right. those youtube videos but it's more of just us being able to contemplate and retrospect on these evil things that go on and be aware that we need to fortify ourselves against because none of us are immune there's these demons that come at halloween and they're going to be knocking on our, our doors how much candy do we choose to give them to get to either get them away from us or let them come into the house right so there's there's kind of all these things going on in the backdrop yeah very anyway. good okay, okay let's anything else about charles Manson before no i think that's talk? it I, I think i talked about him too long so 
Okay, we'll go to Sangji's. Okay. So who is your so, Sangji? So the one that I chose to look into was the Fritzel case. So it's about a man named Joseph Fritzel in Austria. Uh-huh. And the the way I I came across this case is because uh, a couple of months ago I watched a movie called Room. I don't know if Rune. you guys have heard of it. Room. R U N E like the inscription. Uh-huh. Yeah, like R O O M. Oh, room. Okay. Yeah, Room. And it was such a fascinating movie. It's basically the movie was about how this guy. Kidnapped the girl and then put it in his uh, uh, locked her up in a little tiny room in his in his backyard, and like he got her pregnant and then she raised her son in this tiny room for years, and then they escape when um, when. He tell she tells the guy that the son is dead, and then she rolls him up in a blanket, and then they when he tries to take him, um, yeah, and then yeah. Anyway, anyway, I don't need to go into the. It's pretty intense. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, the move after I watched the movie, I looked up whether it, it, it is based on a book, a um, but people speculate that the author of the. Book got a lot of her ideas from this case, the Fritzel case, and this, yeah, the Fritzel case emerged in April two thousand eight, and basically, this the father of, uh, um, the father is called Joseph Fritzel, and while he lives this normal life in his house with his wife and kids. He locks up one of his daughters in the basement, and he rapes her constantly and gets her um, pregnant. And then he, she has a lot of babies—seven babies. She has with, seven kids with her dad. Dad. Yes, with her dad. My which, goodness. And then only four of them, I believe, from. I think he said three of them. Three of them. Okay, three of them um, survived. Three of the kids. Did the rest die in in like birth? Mm, yes, I'm not sure. Yeah, well, it was that. So let's see. So what so, did they do with all these kids? Did they lock them in a basement of a basement? What's? Yeah, well, they. He kind of didn't. Sangji didn't he? He kind of kidnapped her when she left when she was eighteen, and then forced her down there and had her write a note yeah. saying that, "Oh, yes. I'm just running away. I don't have anything to do with you." So her mom and everyone else thought she was just somewhere they, else. She, yeah, the mom filed a missing report, but the dad uh, forced Elizabeth, uh, the daughter that's been locked up in the basement, to write a letter saying that, "Oh, I left home because I can't stand this family, and I'm joining a religious cult." And so, the dad handed over this letter to the police officer, and they said, "Okay, she she left, and we don't need to keep looking for her." So I'm confused, though. If she was in her dad's house, how did her mom not know that she was seller? That's the basement. Basement. <laughs> That's the she amazing was locked thing up about in the it. Basement. But the wife never goes into the basement. No. He told her she wasn't allowed to, right? Yeah. 
that he was working with his for his business down in the basement and that his wife was to never go down in the basement. I can't imagine a, being in a house know. where I can it's never crazy. go in my basement. And it was it was like there was some crazy like remote system he set up and it was like you couldn't just like unlock it. There's no locks or anything and there's like a seven different locks before you could actually get into the basement. It was like super oh my goodness. crazy crap. It's crazy. And also after the release, um, Elizabeth actually talks about how he, how she really struggled to forgive her mother for her passiveness throughout this whole thing. The mother was very non-questioning, just always just passive. Oh, my daughter left. Okay, that's fine. Kind of thing. Oh yeah, my uh, husband doesn't want me to go downstairs. Okay, that's fine. Like. He, she never questioned anything. You know, she. Do you think she really actually didn't know, or is she just kind of putting a blind eye, like pretending? From the descriptions, it looks like she was just like very dumb. Yeah, she just never really questioned anything. Yeah. Did you listen to any of the interviews and and kind of get a reaction from her or anything? No, I didn't. I didn't listen to any interviews yet, but. Anyway, but so it's very similar to the plot in Room, the movie Room, uh-huh. but it's a little bit different in that in this in this case, um, it was the father that did this, not some kidnapper, which is even more scarier. even scarier, even more disgusting. Yeah. yeah, very gruesome. Okay, well then, how did should we? Is this okay? If we go to this question. The second yeah, one. let's go to the questions. Yeah. So how did how did all the victims? I guess it was just the daughter, right, and the other kids. But how did they all escape? Yes, that's a very good question. So, um, one of the children, one of the kids that Elizabeth had and was uh, were raising in the basement, um, was named Kirsten. And one time she got very sick. She it turned out that she had. Um, kidney failure, serious kidney failure. So Elizabeth begged his father to um, take her to the hospital. So, so his father agreed and he took Kirsten to the hospital. And this girl has never like stepped foot in sunlight yes. before. So she would have struggled very much with light, like light exposure and everything at this time. But yeah. Um, well. Yeah, took her to the hospital, and then um, and then later on, he allowed Elizabeth and the other two kids to go to the hospital as well to see Kirsten. At this time, the police were very suspicious of all of this. Like they were saying, "Wait, um, who's Kirsten? Like, why do you have her? Why do you have her?" And then like looked into. Um, Fritzl's record, criminal record, and everything, and they were like really confused that his daughter Elizabeth ran away from home to re- join a religious cult. And then, uh, when they looked at religious cults around town, there were like no records of any of those religious cults existing. Mm. So they were like, there is something fishy about this. Open the can of worms. Yes. Did they have any neighbor reports of anything odd or suspicious before? 
Nothing. Sounds from the basement. I think you said the ten. He had tenants that lived there, over a hundred. Oh, yeah, and they wow. would hear sound. They heard sounds coming from the basement. That's true. So he but rented they... out parts of his house or yeah. whatever yeah. complex this is. Man. Okay. But after that, the police um, took um, took Elizabeth for questioning, and Elizabeth was like. I will only tell you things if you promise me that I will never see my father again. So that's when she revealed to the police that she had been uh, kept captive for 24 years. Wow. And that Fritzel, her father, raped her and forced her to watch pornography. And he made a reenact with him in front of her children in order to humiliate her. Which is very sickening, and yeah. that's when all the arrests and everything happened. Yeah. And so she never had to live with him again after that. Hopefully. That's, that's correct. Well, he was arrested. Yeah. He was arrested. Yeah. And he is, he's still alive, actually, in prison, um, Amsterdam. Yeah. I don't know, in I don't know if it's in Amsterdam. Probably, in Austria. Yeah. It might have been in Amsterdam. I think they sent some yeah. high-profile criminals there. Anyway, but Anything what's more about, scary yeah. is that after they, when they interviewed him, even in prison, he showed no remorse for mm. his behavior. He was saying that I would have done worse things if I didn't do uh, do what I did. Like, it was mm. like kind of a way to like um, keep him from doing worse worst things in his oh life. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it's hard to think of what would be worse than that, but I, know, I don't even right? want to go there, you know? <laughs> so. So scary. I, I'm like shivering as I'm telling you this. It's like, yeah, this isn't trying. giving you the creeps, you know? You, I don't know which podcast you can turn to for more scariness. Yeah. But any anything else on his trial or his imprisonment or where he's at now? Um. He changed his name, <laughs> and apparently okay, he? he got in a lot of fights where he lost a lot of teeth in, <laughs> in his prison. He's old, isn't he? He's probably yeah. 80? Yeah, he's over 80. And, but, and he, I mean, he also had a... Well, that's one of the questions we're getting to. Did you have anything else? Um, yeah, I think something that is kind of on the lighter note and something that's more touching from all of this is her Elizabeth and her children's recovery they are um, there they got a lot of support from her communities a lot of medical help and a lot of therapies um, I know one of the kids um, he had walking problems after the release because he was a lot taller than the basement um, that he was kept in. So he oh, kept, wow. um, yeah, he lived his whole life kind of bending, I mean, a lot of his years bending over. So oh my goodness. he got a lot of help with that, but also a lot of, they had to get a lot of help with being able to adjust to a lot of sunlight because yeah. they didn't get that That's at crazy. all during their life. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Just, I'm curious, um, like genetically, what, you know, after this incestuous offspring, I mean, what type of genetic problems would they have and stuff? Yeah. I guess it depends. The Wikipedia on that. page didn't go into detail about that, but. Yeah, I think their children are probably going to be changed their name or, you know, 
they're gonna move yeah. and and they're gonna kind of keep quiet and you'll yeah. get many like, records on them it's like ted bundy's daughter she's somewhere oh my goodness i found out about that today apparently she's a fine fine lady though living living well <laughs> that's, what, that's it, what it said yeah i saw that sanji did you know about ted bundy's daughter yes but i didn't know Actually, I don't think much people know about her, but they just says that she's fine and she just wants to be left alone. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with her life. Yeah, I, I didn't <laughs> Which even is know. She, reasonable. The thing is, I didn't know he had a daughter while he's in prison. Oh, Brandy, you have to watch the Netflix, the dramatized version of Ted Bunny. It's actually very accurate. I've read, oh compared it with the Wikipedia fact page, but it's, some parts are dramatized. But it's very. I thought it was a very captivating. Uh, I'll have to check it out. The creepy thing about him is that he was still manipulating people in the courtroom and in the prison rooms, you know? That's the scary thing, you know? Yeah. He was that good I of a cult leader. It's, it's pretty interesting kind of analyzing his manipulation techniques, actually. Like, even in the courtroom, he would, he would be so confident and he would put a lot of the blame on other people. Like, oh, you weren't on time or like... You know, you didn't do this correct, and I think that they're kind of getting more confused and like kind of putting more um, credibility towards him just subconsciously, you know? Yeah, he was really good at the shock factor. You know, he announced his marriage in yeah. his, one of his court cases. <laughs> it's like, what kind of a show can you put on here? Oh, but there was so, such a big audience for him. A lot of girls actually in, like, they testified in his. Yeah, well, they had fangirls showing up. And they didn't even know him, right? But they just thought he was so good looking and stuff. And even the judge, yeah. when he sentenced him, he felt bad. He was like, you know, if you weren't a, such a evil right? person, you'd actually probably make a half-decent lawyer. But he's... <laughs> <laughs> well, he was in oh, law man. school. He was, he, was, he was going to be he's a lawyer. He head of Republican but, Yeah, he was a Republican. Yeah. Gross. <laughs> just kidding. Okay. <laughs> But um, let's get to your questions then, Sangji. So, oh let's, yeah, yeah. Um, let's see here. So, I have the first one. What was Joseph Fritzl's family background like? Oh, that's very interesting. He grew up without a father because his father um, was killed in the war. Mm -hmm. so World see, War Two. Yeah, yes. they've been. Yeah, World yeah. War Two. He was in Austria. Yeah. Yeah, World War Two, and. They say that his mother only had him just to show that she is not barren. Like, oh. I think they had to prove that she's not barren in order for, I don't know, political reasons. Uh -huh. yeah. And she, they, her mother and him had a very re abusive relationship. So he, he talks about how he, she used to beat him up till he would bleed. Oh. And he was just had a lot of like very fear-based relationship with her. Mm -hmm. And what's some something that's interesting is when he grew up into an adult and she became physically less able, he kept her um, locked up in the attic. And yeah, for twenty years he kept her locked up until she died. This was his mother, huh? Yeah. Okay. That's so... That's awful. Yeah. No, no justification for his actions, yeah. but... 
No, that yeah. definitely played a part in his in the making of a monster. Yeah. Yeah, this is his quote. I was born to rape and I held myself back for a relatively long time. I could have behaved a lot worse than locking up my daughter. That's what he said. That's awful. Yeah, yeah. that's disgusting. But uh, yeah, I'm glad that Elizabeth and and her kids are recovering well and um, yeah, the siblings, he, they're getting, getting a lot of help from the siblings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from each yeah. other. And good. Well, I think that, that basically sums up yours. Why don't we jump to Brandon's and then we'll wrap things okay. up. Okay, so I chose, um, oh, I got to go back. <laughs> Dorothea Puente. And she was pretty interesting, I think. One of the most interesting I've read. Hmm. So who is this? I've never heard of Mrs. Puente. Go ahead and ask the questions and I'll kind of, I kind of cycled it chronologically. Okay. So let's see here. I'll ask the first two questions and Sangju asked the last two. Hmm. How old was Dorothea Puente when she committed her first murder? Uh, Justin, your mic keeps humming. Okay. Is it humming now? Yeah. Is it humming now? Still. How about now? Uh, it's in the background, but it's almost gone. Okay, it's good now. How old was Dorothea, Dorothea Puente when she committed her first murder? Yeah, so the, the scary thing about mine is, you know, I found this one on a horror post, and it's like, what are some things you see that are unexpected? And it's like, they show you a picture of her and just think of a really nice old grandma and then think, oh, there couldn't be anything wrong with this person, right? But no, this lady is like one of the worst serial killers. She killed probably about anywhere from nine to 15 people. And she did it all. Her first murder was in 1982 is, is claimed. And she so was old born was she? in 29. So that means she was... Um, oh, she was, she was nearly, 50, what, 52 years old? 53. About 53, almost turning 54, probably. So Where where did this take place? What country? This is all in America, boys. <laughs> all right. But Sangji's was in Austria. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, so this is this is in uh, California. She grew up. Um, most of it took place in California. Okay. All right, so the next question here is, what were some of her murder methods? Okay, Um, one thing I guess I'll add to the previous question real quick is, at her court conviction, one of the uh, jury members was quoted saying something along the lines of, you know, it was so hard. It was like, I I wouldn't have been able to do this to my own grandma. (laughs) So just to put that thought in your head, you know, she just seemed like a really old, old grandma lady. And so, I guess, um, the murders, okay. So, let's see, she had a lot of methods. Um, she mostly preyed on, on unwell people. That was the thing. She had, she had her own little um, kind of like boarding house where she would take in old people that had psychological problems or depression or mental disabilities. 
and she would take them in as kind of like her old folks house and she would take care of them and she would cook them meals and stuff but the thing is she did it everything was financial uh all her reasons for murder were financial reasons so she would check their mail before they could access it and then she would take out their social security checks and she would cash them for them and she would give them back a small percentage as a stipend and she would keep the rest under quote-unquote expenses costs mm-hmm. so she was stealing their social security checks and anytime well the, the few people that were getting on her nerves and complaining uh, she would kill them and she would usually do it by drugging them you know upping their dosage on their pills and then when they died, she would suffocate them sometimes, and then she would bury them in her backyard. And oh the scary thing is, she had a really nice them? garden in her backyard, <laughs> quote unquote garden. Gosh. So she was a caretaker. I missed that. Was she a caretaker? Yeah, what? she was. She was a caretaker as well. So she, she was the nurse's aide. Yeah. The nurse. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. She but, got her training wait, as I'm a confused. nurse's aide, but then after that, she started her own her own uh, tenant house place. Yeah. How was she strong enough to bury all those people? So that's a good question. She wasn't because she was pretty old. She when was her hire... last murder? So she would hire people. Um, she murdered from 82 to 80, uh, 88, I think. So over Gosh, the span so She murdered of seven 15 years. people in seven years. And oh it's nine to 15. They're not sure. They actually only convicted her of three people as a uh, jury because you have to get unanimous consent on the conviction. But, uh, and the reason why it was really hard was because they all thought of her as like this grandma, you know. They couldn't convict their oh, own no. grandma. That's what they were thinking. But she had some strange, met- uh, very smart methods, I guess. Just she would call people and she would ask them to help. So here's some quick stories, I guess, some quick anecdotes. So, for example, it first started with her fiance. Uh, she was dating this fiance while she was in jail through pen pal. She wrote to him. Uh, and then she was in jail for, for, uh, for other reasons, but they were also kind of sketchy. <laughs> they weren't murder. She hadn't murdered anyone yet, but she had some, some uh, I think she was preying on elderly people. Something like that. She, what, what, do you, what does that mean? Forging, forging checks, it says. Okay, forging it. So financial problem. Yeah. So okay. she was in jail. She was supposed to be in jail for five years, but she only stayed there for three years. And so she met her pen pal through letters. And so this was her first probable murder. Um, and basically, she one day he just disappeared and she hired some guy uh, named Ismael Flores to to uh or not ismo for i'm getting the names mixed up but she hired this guy basically to build a box for her so she could store her books and then she threw the body in it um and then she had him come pick up the box to transport it and then she stopped halfway through the destination and was like you know what? actually it's just garbage you can just throw it here on this dump site and they found it later and they couldn't identify the body for like three years hmm. uh, all the while driving her her fiance's red pickup truck <laughs> that he left behind that he she claimed he didn't need anymore which wasn't false uh another wait, wait, wait. so her fiance was the one that was driving her that picked up her no the fiance was the one bookshelf the fiance was the one that murdered she hired some guy to go pick it up so she um, got her fiance to murder for her no no no, no. her fiance died she killed her fiance probably and oh then, um and then she hired someone else to okay. fill the box and pick it up for her Oh my gosh. So there was more. Uh, she, she was claimed to kill her business partner. 
another one she hired someone to come like I'm, I get all the stories mixed up but it was something like she hired this guy named Chief and he was there to go um, replace uh, dig out stuff in her basement and he came out walking out of the house the neighbors saw this all with soil in a wheelbarrow and then uh, she later replaced it with a new concrete slab so probably burying bodies down there but Chief disappeared. <laughs> There's other people like every time she would hire these people to dig holes for her, they would disappear too. So oh I think she got rid of the people that worked for her as well. Huh. Very strange. Yeah. She probably only uh, like she probably only killed those disabled and weaker people because those are the only ones that she could kill. Like if she had the physical ability to kill bigger and younger people she i think she would have yeah yeah and the thing is the people that she hired to help do the digging yeah. uh the chief guy the name his nickname was chief he was a homeless alcoholic so they were yeah. also very vulnerable yeah i mean they might have just they have those those prof you know professional hitmen house painters is what they call them right where they you pay them to go kill people she may have just paid off people to, to go do those things. Possibly, but the only evidence we have is she was drugging people. She would up their dosage. That was the safest method for her. Interesting. Yeah. Well, Sanji, why don't you ask those last two questions? And then... The last two questions are, how was she caught? So how was Dorothea caught? Okay. Well, this one is is a... It was, you could have seen it coming <laughs> after all these murders. She basically, another one went missing, but this time people noticed he got missing because his like uh, counselor or doctor or whatever, like found out that, that he was gone and he was a schizophrenic disabled guy. And so they're, mm -hmm. they started looking and uh, it's scary because this happened for six or seven year time period and, and they had lots of reports, but they never actually went to her property and like, checked out her stuff but they went and they they noticed the soil in the backyard you know by the garden was kind of like um yeah. out of place and so they they started digging <laughs> um and they found a different body it was who started digging this is the police yeah. the doctor detectives. these are like the, the police. oh the police, police after it was reported by his doctor yeah it's like his doctor or his uh social worker or something like that someone that was taking care of the um, the guy, he was a tenant in her place, but he also had connections outside, which was her downfall because many of them didn't have any connections. So they found the body oh. of a different person and then just the whole yeah. string started falling. They had the court cases and yeah, it was, they, they found out all the I see. body after body kept coming up, you know. They go back and they're like, this body five years ago that we couldn't identify for five years is actually so-and-so. Yeah. Huh. It's like the Hillary Clinton body count. <laughs> so, <laughs> so she hasn't been convicted yet. I know, I'm just kidding. It's because just a joke. Donald Trump gave It's up a conspiracy theory joke that everyone that criticizes the Clintons, there's a body count, they disappear. Yeah, well, we'll see Don't when Donald bring that Trump... up, Justin, in the <laughs> public um, podcast. <laughs> it's just a joke. Everyone knows about it. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> so the next question is actually very interesting. 
What product can you still purchase on Amazon from Dorothea? Okay. Well, I don't know. Do you guys have a guess? If I'm going to guess um, something about gardening. <laughs> compost? No, yes. I don't want Fertilizer? Not compost. I think like, uh, oh no, it probably wouldn't be a gardener. Is it right? Is that right? Is it something outside of the home you'd use? Uh, it's something you'd use inside the home. Think about oh. the caretaker part. That's a hint. Blankets, um, um spoons, I... I don't know. Oh, yeah, you're getting close on Spoons? Oh, really? You said uh, a bowl? A clay it pot. It has to do with made. kitchen stuff. It was, I'll um, give you the answer. if you Spatula. Yeah. <laughs> it was cooking with a serial killer. It's a cookbook you can buy. Oh, my gosh. Are you serious? And she wrote it? <laughs> yeah, so she, she was in prison, and she got interviewed um, by by some artist and in the cookbook it's called cooking with the serial killer it came out in 2004 she it has a, an interview with between the artist and her and it has almost 50 recipes and i looked it up on amazon huh. it's still being sold it's How on much is good it? reads it's like it's a couple bucks it's not super expensive a lot of people commented and were just like i bought this just because it looked interesting on my bookshelf <laughs> And then some of them said the recipes were actually pretty good for being a serial killer. Oh my gosh. So, oh my Wait, was it, what kind of food legit. is it? Is it just like American food? It's, I, I, would, I would guess lasagnas? It's, it's her homemade American I thought maybe food. she was from South America or something, so she would. Oh, Fuente? Fuente? Yeah. Wait, so she, is she, she would have, would she be, have, uh, was she getting profit out of this book before she died? <laughs> oh, she's well, dead now. She didn't die until 2011, so I, I guess she had royalties on that book and probably got some of it. Even till, even in prison, she was obsessed with money. <laughs> <laughs> you can use stuff in prison for money. Most people don't know that, but uh, yeah. bribes, bribes go around. I think but Charles she, Manson was making a lot of money too. But anyways, yeah, they become these like prison lords. But she was basically. She was known as a good cook. That's why people liked living at her place. Huh. And her her defense, she she also, so I guess a lot of people ask the reaction of her, like what did she think? She said, she told the reporter straight up with like cold stone eyes. This is what he said in the interview. She said, um, I don't care bleep about what other people think about me. And she denied that she ever killed any of them. She said it was all natural causes. And she's like, I made them good food. You know, why would I fill them up if I was going to kill them after? That was, that was her claim. Oh, man. So, but, yeah, she got life without parole. Um, she, because, she was in California. That's because they probably did, they didn't have the death penalty after, like, 72. Yeah, yeah, Cal. She, so she actually went to Alaska when she was caught. And, but they didn't know, they weren't like sure it was her. So they let her slip out to go buy a coffee outside, like on the street. Wait, what do you mean they didn't know it was, it was her? Uh, like they weren't sure. They weren't, they weren't super strict about it. it so they, like there was a bus that, I mean, uh, like she got prison transferred to Alaska? So before she got, because she was in prison a long time ago for three years, but she got out. After that, no one discovered this until 88. Okay, she murdered uh -huh. from 82 to 88. But in around the year 88, she was in Alaska and there was some like police going mm. after her and they kind of had her in detainment or something. But yeah. they let her out for a cup of coffee and she immediately just dipped. 
She went to the huh. airport and flew to California. And her lawyers moved the trial to California. So that's why it all ended up happening oh. in California. She's so she smart. knew she knew that if she because I I'm Alaska's guessing Alaska probably had the purple, death penalty. You know, pretty blue or pretty uh, red. Red, red yeah. and purple. Yeah. It probably had the death penalty there. So, so she kind of got lucked out on that, you know. Oh, that's man. crazy. But I, I just think it's so eerie because that quote, I had to keep saying it. The juror said executing Puente would be like executing mine or your grandma. That's why they couldn't get themselves to give her the death penalty because it was legal back then. I think. Oh, it was. But it, yeah. uh, it was just so hard because she's this innocent, you know, figure and you just never expect to be her. She was probably almost dead. Oh, well, I know it was 88. She didn't uh, die till 2011. Oh, uh, yeah. 2011. That's, just... yeah, that's almost 30 it just goes on to show you can't trust people just because of their They're old woman or fragile. Like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, the it's, other thing is she's a lady, right? Most of the serial killers we hear about are men. Very men, yeah. yeah. So I, that's why well, I picked this one. She's, she's fascinating. Well, I think that makes a good closing to our, what would this be, a Halloween segment of of disturbing and creepy things serial probably killers. our creepiest podcast yet yeah hopefully just i don't know maybe probably more than once a year but at least once a year for halloween but we'll, we'll see what the future brings okay all right well thank you everyone for tuning in if you like this podcast please share it subscribe and even on our anchor.fm slash smalltalkwiththelees, you can donate and support this podcast. So we appreciate it. Um, we appreciate being joined by Brandon and Sanjay today. So thank you, everyone, and have a good night. Bye.